Well, we are continuing our study through the life of Abraham, and we've called this a journey of faith. And the reason we call it that is because faith is that. It's a journey. It's not a, it's not a one-stop thing. It's not a, you never arrive. It's always a journey, a continuing process. And as Christians, we hopefully strive every day, all of our lives, to become more and more mature, to grow. And we never really arrive at perfection. And as we see through Abraham's life, you're going to see a lot of incidents and occasions where Abraham's faith was tested. And on some cases he failed, some cases he was successful, victorious. And the same thing, I think, applies to us. We're always going to be tested in our faith. And we're either going to fail at that test or we're going to succeed. And I think we're going to see how Abraham, in this particular part, he succeeded in this. Now, we're going to come back to the second half of chapter 18 next week. Because, as you probably know or have heard or will heard, I thought today was Father's Day. And I had everything ready for Father's Day. I had a bulletin. I had a sermon. I had the graphics. I had everything done. Sent him off to Brad's, and he goes, you know, Father's Day is next week. I'm like, ah. Yeah, so, so we're going to look at the second half of uh, Abraham, or chapter 18 next week in Genesis and, and mostly chapter 19 today. And that's a success, I believe, for Abraham. Now, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 18 where we see Abraham sees the, a pre-incarnate Christ. That's where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. And he tells Abraham the good news. He's going to be a dad. In Genesis 18:1, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre. Verse 2 says, When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now, there's only a few cases in the Old Testament where Jesus actually appears as we call it the pre-incarnated Christ. And it'll usually be referred to as the angel of the Lord as opposed to an angel of the Lord. And the reason we know this is Jesus because when Abraham bowed down, the angel didn't make him get up again. If you look through in, in various times when angels appeared in the Old Testament, guys would bow down and the angel would instantly say, no, get up. Get up, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. But he accepted this, we believe this is Jesus as well. So angels come in to tell Abraham he's going to be a dad. Sarah finds out she's going to be a mom and she laughs. We're going to get to that next week. But the thing I want to point out here is the next part of Genesis 18 and 19 is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and how they leave Abraham and go deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And the one thing I noticed about that is Abraham, God was still working in Abraham's life while there was great turmoil and sin going on right next door. And I thought about that. That kind of equates to what's happening now in the world. There's a lot of turmoil and confusion and fighting and rioting going on right now. And we might have a tendency to think that God isn't working. But the reality is God is going to work in spite of all the stuff that's going on around us. So, in verse six, uh, 16 of chapter 18, it says, When the men got ready to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Now, we have the advantage of knowing what's next. Abraham didn't. He was just walking with the angels, kind of walking them to, to the uh, proverbial door. Which brings me to point number one. Even though Sodom was deep in sin and about to be judged, and wickedness was abound them, it did not stop God from working and fulfilling what his plan was going to be. Now, I was 
as we were worshiping there, I think, I don't know if God was bringing this to my mind or if my history came back to me, but uh, how many of you were alive and of thinking during the 60s? Rioting, the war was going on, the Watts riots, all these bad things were happening in the 60s, right? I mean, the world was just kind of like it is today. Cities were being burned and riots were happening everywhere, marches and picketing. What happened during the 60s, near the end of the 60s and early 70s? How many remember the Jesus movement? All the hippies and stuff that were picketing all got saved. Then they had the charismatic uh, renewal. And Catholic, Catholic Church got full of charismatics. God was working in the midst of all that wickedness going on during that time and had a great revival. So I'm kind of excited to see what God's going to do with what's going on now. Why? Because I think people, when they see what's out there and they see the, the, the wickedness that's going on, they want something else. They need to turn to something else. And God brings them in and God still works in the middle of that. And I, I think sometimes if, maybe even I think this way, that during all this stuff that's going on, that God's kind of waiting to work until it's over. Let it run its course, and then God's going to work. But I think God works right in the middle of it and does his best work when there's great sin going on. Think about this. God delivered the message of the covenant with Abraham. Abraham, you're going to be a father, and this son is going to be the progenitor of Christ eventually. So they, they covenant the initial covenant that would bring salvation to all mankind was done during the time that Sodom and Gomorrah were being wicked great sin abounded when Jesus was crucified sin caused him to be crucified great wickedness during his time and yet God provided salvation in the middle and in spite of all the wickedness going on at that time and the things we see happening today we should not think that God is waiting. I believe that God is working. Even though we don't see it in the news and on the reports, I believe that God is working in the hearts and minds of people just like he did then. He's probably doing his best work right now. Why? Because people are attentive and when, when all this wickedness abounds in the world and it seems like, I don't know about you, but whenever I watch a newscast or see what's going on, it seems like it's too much to overcome. You think that sometimes? That it, it's just gone so far that we're never going to be able to come back. And it's just so much that we can't overcome it. That's when God works his best, right? When we can't do it. But God is able to do that. Now, we know Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people pray, we turn from our wickedness, God will heal our land. So we continue to pray for that. But it also requires something on the part of the church. And Genesis 18, verse 17 says, Then the Lord sh uh, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Remember, Abraham is walking with the angels as they're discussing this. Had Abraham not walked with them, he would not have known what they were going to do, and therefore he would not have been able to save Lot. 
the one thing that we're required to do in spite of all the stuff that's going on is continue to walk with God. If we are not walking with God, we're not going to realize what God is going to do. It's easy to get discouraged and upset and just kind of throw in the towel when you see all this stuff in the news. Where's God? How come God's not answering? How come God's letting this stuff happen? Rather than pressing in and walking with God because God has not gone anywhere. Our job is to continue to walk with him in spite of what's going on. And when we walk with him, we will understand what God is going to do. Abraham was going to know more about Sodom's fate than Sodom because he walked with God. And it was because Abraham had chosen not to be a part of that system. Remember, Sodom is an indication of what the world is like. And Lot made his tent toward, Lodom, uh, toward Sodom. He became part of Sodom even before he got there. He wanted that worldly system. He wanted to be part of that particular world. Abraham chose not to. Abraham chose to stay away from the world system, to be separate from the world. The Bible calls us to be separate from, from the world system. Holiness means to be separate. Now, it doesn't mean we live in a monastery. How many understand that? It doesn't mean we seclude ourselves in the church and we refrain from interacting with the world. It just means we live in the world, we operate with the world, but we don't operate according to their moral system. Now, we operate according to other systems. We have to obey the laws and we have to pay our taxes, all that kind of stuff. But we don't participate in the moral system that's going on. You can't have both. You can't want what the world has and the way the world operates and then have the love of Christ. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? So we are called to be separate from the world system. We operate in it but we don't operate according to its, its morals. Genesis 18.20 says, Then the Lord said, The outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So at this point, it appear, appears Abraham kind of gets an idea of what's going to happen to Sodom. He knows, he knows what Sodom's like. And now he hears it from the angel of the Lord that judgment's coming. And so verse 23 says, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So what is happening here? Abraham is now beginning to intercede for Sodom. He knows how bad it is. He doesn't, he doesn't know how many people are bad. He thinks there might be some righteous people down there. So he begins to intercede for the people that are there. That is what we are to do as the church. We are to intercede for the people that are causing all these things that are happening around us. We're to pray for them, that God doesn't pour his judgment upon them. We want them to be saved. He begins to pray and intercede with them with God. And he begins to talk to God about it. And we know the story. He says if there's 50, if there's 45, if there's 30, 20, 10, if there's that many people, God will withhold his judgment. We're to intercede not wanting anyone to perish. The folks that are causing all these things, you know, we look at them in the natural and we want, man, come on, pour that judgment on them, right? But God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants them all to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.3, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel 33.11, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but rather that they turn from their ways and live. You watch the writing, you see the, the clips. God wants those people to be saved. God wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so we as Christians should be interceding to that effect that God is able to save them. And if God saves them, that will put an end to all the writing that's going on, right? If people's hearts are changed from the inside, that will stop. And that's kind of what happened in the 60s. All these folks got saved and things settled down and they got back to normal again. A lot of folks got saved. A lot of people were brought into the church and in the kingdom that way. Now, we know what's going to happen at Sodom, right? We know that other than Lot and his daughters, no one is righteous. No one is able to get saved there. So, but it wasn't for the lack of Abraham interceding. We've said the phrase before, we're called to be faithful, not successful. Abraham was faithful in praying. He's faithful in interceding for them, asking God to have mercy upon them, allowing them to be saved. If there were righteous people there, Lord, spare the entire town. In fact, if Lot's family, his extended family, were righteous, the entire town would have been spared. But there wasn't 10 people there that God considered righteous, and they were all wicked. Abraham was faithful for interceding for them. But ultimately, the choice is theirs as to what happens. We intercede for people. We ask that God intercedes and saves them and delivers them. But ultimately, the people that we're praying for, it has to be their choice. We can't make anyone become a Christian. We can't make anyone repent. God is the one who does that. We're faithful to intercede. And whatever their choices are is what their choices are. And the resulting judgment is going to come because of their choices, not because we lack intercession. You know, Ezekiel says, if, if you pray for someone, if you talk to them about Jesus and they don't get saved, it's on them. However, if you don't talk to them and they don't get saved, it's on you. So our job is to intercede for people and pray for people and let God be the judge of the results. So now, Abraham was faithful to intercede, but we're going to see how entrenched not only Lot, but the entire city was in sin. Genesis 19.1. It says, Two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. So Lot went from being just a, an outsider to now being kind of a high muckety-muck in the system. If you know, if you look at Ruth, in the book of Ruth, remember that um, Boaz did his, his business in the city gate. So the city gate was where the prominent people came to do business. That's who your local politicians were. They came to sit in the gate. So Lot wasn't just a resident. He was an important member of the community. It's possible, it's hard, but it's possible to become a high-ranking official, a politician, and maintain your witness. How many folks do we see during election time always claim to have, quote, a relationship with the church? And then once the election's done, that relationship kind of vaporizes. There are a few, a select few, who are able to get through and become politicians and electorate officials. It becomes very hard for them. Just read the news. Every time someone who stands up for righteousness does that, they get vilified and attacked by everybody else. So it's difficult but not impossible to become 
a, an important member of our community. If you look in the Bible, Joseph maintained his faithfulness to God in Egypt. Daniel kept the faith in Babylon. Esther was faithful in, in Persia. But Lot was worldly even before he got there. His heart attitude was never committed to Christ. Now, depending on who you read, he was a Christian or he was saved, or however you want to term it in the, Old, in the Old Testament. Some commentators say that he was just, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't saved, he didn't have a relationship. Others say he was, but he was a carnal Christian. So I don't, you know. Either way, Lot was in a bad position because of what he was doing in his life. Genesis 19, verse 1 and 2. When, he, when This is Lot. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and go on your way early in the morning. Now that sounds pretty good, right? But Lot calls himself a servant. He says, I'm your servant. But what he's saying to them is, Hey, I'm your servant. Go ahead over. Go to my house. You can wash your feet. You sleep there. I'm going to hang here. He wasn't doing anything for them. He was allowing them to sleep in his house, but compare him to Abraham. When the angels appeared to Abraham, Abraham instantly made them something to eat, instantly washed their feet. Jesus washed people's feet. Lot said, basically, go wash your own feet. Take care of yourself. Lot was all talk. He was trying to impress his friends. Hey, the angels are here. Go to my house. You can have my house. But he wasn't doing anything for them. How, of, how often do we talk a good game, but we don't actually do anything to back up what we talk about? It's great to have ideas and, and think about all things that need to be done, but when it actually comes to doing the work, how many of us are all of a sudden too busy to do it? Lot was too busy hanging with his friends at the gate. He wasn't, he wasn't going to go serve them. He was going to let them go on themselves. And verse 2 says, No, they answer, we will spend the night in the square. I think in the vernacular it would have been, Hey, don't do me any favors. All of a sudden, Lot is beginning to be embarrassed in his friends. They're not going to go to his house even though he was invited. His friends at the gate were like, you know, they're not going to go to your house. They don't, they don't respect you. Why? Because Lot wasn't separated from the world. He was part of the world system. It's the separated believer that has fellowship with God. If you are separated unto God, you have that fellowship. The worldly believer does not have that type of relationship. And so now he's lost, begin to lose face with his, his friends. Verse 3 says, But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and then they eat. So push comes to shove. He's getting embarrassed in front of his friends at the gate. He says, okay, fine. Come with me. I will take you there, and I will make you something to eat. Don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyways. So they go back with him and spend the night. But then in verse 4 it says, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have relationships with them. Immorality never stops. It never rests. How many know the devil never takes a break? Never takes a break. And so what does Lot do? Lot tries to reason with them. 
verse 6. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. So even though there's kind of a, not a riot, but a picketing out in front of his house, he is comfortable enough with the people outside to go outside to meet them and then close the door behind him. So he must think he has a great relationship with these people. Hey, I'm going to go hang with them. I'm going to talk to them. Let me just reason with them. Everything will be fine. So he goes outside, and what happens? We know what happens. How many understand there's no reasoning with the enemy? There's no reasoning with sin. No reasoning with, with the enemy. If you try to appease sin, you try to appease the enemy, it'll never be enough. We gave this illustration a while ago when Chick-fil-A, I don't know, several months ago, remember they kind of acquiesced and they, they quit donating to pro-life organizations and they started donating to pro-abortion organizations and pro-gay organizations. And, you know, they did that hoping that that would make everybody happy and appease everybody. And like the day later, the statement came out from, I think it was a pro-gay organization saying, that's not enough. We want more from them. We want them to totally disavow everything they say. So no matter how much you try to appease the enemy, appease what the devil wants to do, it's never going to be enough. He's going to continue to beat you down until you finally give in. I, how many watched Drew Brees? How many know who Drew Brees is? Football player. He came out, I don't know, about a month ago, maybe several weeks ago, and basically said, I'm not going to kneel you know, at the anthem. Well, the entire NFL and the world just beat him down to the ground and he had to finally come out and apologize. And even though he apologized, it's not enough. You watch how long he's going to stay in the NFL. He's going to be gone. You think the world has your back when you try to appease them, but as soon as you do something negative, they're going to be the first ones to come at you. Ten years ago or so, Trump was just a business guy, and everybody loved him. Everyone wanted to be around him. They wanted their picture taken. He was a guest star on a lot of TV shows. All of a sudden, everybody who loved him now hates him. Why? Because he became president. He didn't do anything other than become president. Lot tried to appease the people outside his door. Verse 7. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. What kind of a loser is Lot? What kind of a moral reprobate is this guy who thinks he has a relationship with God? He has his roots so deep and wanting to be liked by the people in the town, he's willing to give up his kids to these guys because he wants to be liked by them. And he wants to be respected by the people in his house. No matter what you do to try to fit in with the world, at some point it's going to turn and backfire on you and the world will turn on you. How many have heard of the term cancel culture? Cancel culture. The minute that someone does something that the world doesn't like, no matter how friendly they've been together, everyone pounces on them and basically wants to just end their life, end their career, end their, their marriage, end their family. They just want to cancel them out of society. 
I mean, it's happened with people that were champions on the side of evil. They make one comment and the whole world hates them. I'll, I'll give you an example. How many know who J.K. Rowling is? She wrote the Harry Potter things. Now, she's a big lefty. She, you know, not a, not a friend of Christianity at all. But she made one statement, which is amazing that people don't agree with this. They basically, she, she said that men can't have babies. Okay? And because she said that statement, everyone is now jumping on her for saying that statement. Believe the science, except for that chromosome thing, right? So all his success of becoming liked by the world, he's accepted by the towns, he's an official. The minute he tries to stand up, what happens? They're ready to kill him. First John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. So don't be surprised when the world system hates what you stand for. Genesis 19, 10 goes on, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot, oh wait, back to verse nine. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. So he's liked, he was in the city gate, he goes back to the house, he's thinking he's friends with these guys, and the minute he stands up for something that's right, the entire city wants to destroy him, wants to kill him. Verse 10 says, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back in the house and shut the door. So Lot is still trying to reason with these guys. He's still outside trying to talk to them and talk them down. The angel said, this is ridiculous. And he reached out and they pulled him back in because he wasn't making any progress. They knew he wasn't going to make any progress. But he stayed outside because he wanted to maintain his relationship with the world. He wants people to like him. He's offering his kids up he wants the people and the world to like him. And when he realized, or he never realized, that no matter what he does, it's not going to work. He didn't see that ultimately his friendship with them in that world system was going to bring about his ultimate destruction. And the truth is, unbelievers, and we have to be careful that we don't fall into the Christian category of wanting the world to like us so much that we acquiesce to them and give in to them and lower our standards. What do I mean by that? Right now, there are a lot of churches and some Christians that are aligning themselves with nefarious organizations. Organizations that, that sound good but if you know the organization, Christians have no business being a part of them. Go to their website, see what they describe, see what they stand for. We say we understand and we're sorry for something that we didn't even do. You know, I, I look back and remember the 50s, I don't, but some of you might. There was a lot of segregation going on in the 50s and 60s. And what happened? The churches had to be shaken up. The churches had to have the rug pulled off of them because they were just as bad as some of the other ones. And eventually the churches got right, hopefully they're better, 
And all that stuff is, is a thing of the past, hopefully. Now, is it still out there? Probably. But for the most part, it took the churches being shaken up by what's going on to get their attention. But they did not align themselves with organizations that were negative. Most of the churches that were for this marched with Martin Luther King. Most of them did not align themselves with Malcolm X. We as churches have to understand that we have to make sure that we're doing everything biblically because if we're not, we need to check ourselves. But if we are and we're doing everything right, we're not to be lumped in with those that are doing wrong. Abraham interceded for the people at Sodom, but he didn't go to Sodom. He didn't try to be their friend. He didn't try to intercede in Sodom. He didn't go and try to make a difference in Sodom. He prayed that God would change them. All he did was pray. Lot tried to be their friend, and we saw what happened to him. We should pray for those that are doing wrong, but we should not be a part of what they're doing. We can't give them a pass for the things that they're doing that are wrong. Because in the end, we intercede, we pray for them, only God can change their heart. If we go to try to change their heart on the street without talking about Christ, we're going to be just, just like Lot, trying to become one of them in order to affect them. I've said it before, as Christians, we need to be different. As the church, we need to be different. So when people look at us, they don't see the same thing they see everywhere else. So when all these rioting and stuff's going on, we're not the ones that are rioting and picketing. We're the ones that are interceding and praying and doing the things that God calls us to do. Only God can change people's hearts. In, Lot, in Sodom, it has gotten so out of control that only God can solve it. And right now, we look around us, and I think it's gotten to the point where only God can solve this. Genesis 19.11 says, Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could fi not find the door. All of Lot's friendship and reasoning and trying to be friends with the world didn't work. God had to intervene in the situation in order to rescue him. The angels tell Lot to get his household and everyone together. Everyone you know is righteous, Lot. Get them together. We're going to leave. And who does he get? The only people that can, he can get are him and his daughters. Verse 15. When the, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away with the city when the city is punished. So the angels tell Lot, Get together because we're going to burn this place to the ground. Get out of town now. And even then, what's verse 16 say? When he hesitated, Lot, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. So they tell Lot, we're going to burn this place to the ground. And you better get out of here now, or you're going to get burnt with them. And the Bible says he kind of... Uh, should I go? Should I stay? I don't know. He hesitated. And the angels finally had to grab him by the hand and drag him out of town. You know, there are some people that no matter what evidence you put in front of them, 
they're going to still refuse to acknowledge the truth. Refuse to acknowledge God. But the Bible says God was merciful to them because he dragged them out. I thought about that. Now, I've heard this story from several preachers. I don't know, you know, I'm not crazy about it, but it, it appears to be common. Guys who are prominent pastors will tell you that never wanted to be a preacher, never wanted to do this, never wanted to do it. But God dragged me kicking and screaming through Bible college. How many have heard that? How many of you, before you became a Christian, felt like God had to drag you kicking and screaming into the faith? Why? Because God was merciful to you. God brought you out of where you were and dragged you into the faith and allowed you to make the choice. Now we know what happens with Sodom. They get judged. But here's the, here's the, the good analogy for that. We see what's going on around us now. And if you think this is bad, wait till the rapture happens. Wait till Christians are gone and the Holy Spirit presence is gone from this world. This is going to seem like a walk in the park compared to what's going to happen. But the good news is God dragged Lot out of Sodom. He escaped judgment. That's why a lot of people think he was a Christian. God dragged him out. God is going to take the church out of the world before the judgment, great tribulation comes. So no matter what's happening now, by... Mark Lowry has a joke. His favorite verse in the Bible says, and it came to pass. It comes to pass. Everything we see now is going to pass. The things we saw in the 60s, gone. 70s were pretty, you know, except for the clothing and the colors. Everything was pretty good in the 70s. Music was the best. Then the 80s came, and then it was pretty smooth sailing. Things were going good. And all of a sudden, now we have these things. But in the 60s, we thought this is the end. This is the worst it can ever get. But you know what? We healed. God did a work. God saved a lot of folks. And now we're back in it again. So it's nothing new. The things we're experiencing now have been experienced before. And this is going to pass. But we need to use this situation in order to allow people to see Jesus in us and let God do what he's going to do. God's not waiting for this to be over to work. God's working while it's going on. If you want to escape the big judgment, the great tribulation, the difference is you have to be ready. The Bible says we keep ourselves ready knowing that God's going to return at any particular moment and Jesus can return. We need to make ourselves ready for that time. Now, Lot got dragged out. God doesn't drag anyone. He puts obstacles in front of you. He tries to get your attention. But the choice is yours. You have to make the choice to follow Christ. If you're not ready, you're not going to be gone when the tribulation comes. Now there's two schools. I'll close with this. Promise. There are two schools of thought on what happens after the rapture? First school of thought is people will continue to get saved during the tribulation. And that's partially true. 
The second school of thought is, and this is the scary one, if you've heard the gospel before the tribulation and you've refused it, you will not be able to get saved after the rapture. Second Thessalonians, I believe, has that scripture. Again, two schools of thought. I don't want to be the one who tests that out, okay? I don't want to be the one that says, I'm going to wait for the tribulation. I don't believe the first school of thought. I believe the second. I don't want to be the one that waits for that. The Bible says we prepare ourselves now for what's going to come in the future, and we live for that. This is going to pass. We don't know if Christ is going to return now, 100 years from now, but everything we do now, right now, should be focused on the fact that Jesus could come back tomorrow. And if he does, are we ready for that? If not, what we're seeing now is just a minuscule part of what we're going to see during the tribulation. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Hallelujah. And we see examples in the news every day of, of the sinfulness and the wickedness of, of humanity. We don't get to see too much of God's people doing stuff, not because it's not happening, it's just because they don't cover it. But the things that we see that are, are negative and destructive, that is a natural tendency of man. Without God's presence and that the Holy Spirit as a restrainer, as the Bible calls him, that is man left to his own devices. And once the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world when the church is gone at the rapture, there will be no holiness influence. There will be no restrainer. Men will be left to do what they do. And I'll tell you, I don't want to be here for that. We see what's going on just on a small scale. I can't imagine how bad it's going to be during that time. But God has given us, as the Bible says, God has been merciful to us. He's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. He's giving us time that we come through repentance, we come to have faith in Him. And there's going to come a time where the last person has heard the gospel. And at that moment... The rapture happens. We don't know when that's going to be. But we know it's quicker than it was yesterday. And tomorrow will be even faster. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, are you ready for that? It's one thing to be in a church, one thing to go to a church, but another thing to have a relationship with Christ. If you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ. Maybe you've been a part of a church forever, but you've never really accepted what Jesus did on the cross as payment for your sin. That you were a sinner, that I was a sinner. And the only way we get right with God is to believe what Jesus did as a sacrifice for us paid for our penalty. If you've never done that, and the Bible says you're lost, and you're not going to make the rapture, and you're going to suffer horribly during the great tribulation. So the question is, 
do you want to make yourself sure that you're going to make that, that rapture, that you're going to have a right relationship with God so that when your time is up, whether it's natural, whether it's a rapture, whatever it might be, are you ready, truly ready to meet God? If you're not, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you need to make that choice for God. You may not have tomorrow. There's no one guaranteed tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. If that's you and you want a relationship with Christ right now and you want to be sure, the Bible says these things are written that you, you may know you have eternal life. If that's what you want, you want to have assurance of your salvation, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us here have that relationship with Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for drawing us into your family. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of a fellowship, a body of believers. And thank you, Lord, that we know that in spite of what we see around us and in the news and the media, we know that you are working. We know that you are doing great things in spite of what's going on around us. And we want to be the recipients of those great things. So, Father, I pray that you'd fill each one of us with your spirit, fill this church with your presence, and allow us to leave this morning fully engaged in working the gospel of Christ, fully engaged in our relationship with you, so that we are continuing to walk with you, that we don't let you walk ahead of us, let you go on your own. We want to continue to walk with you so that we are alert to what you are doing in our lives. Father, again, thank you for all you've done, your protection, your blessing, all you've done. Now, Lord, I pray you bless us as we leave today. Encourage us and strengthen us and allow us to see the, the positive aspects of the prayers we prayed this morning. Let us see and hear testimonies of God, you're working right now. So, Lord, I commit each person to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you Wednesday online and then next Sunday in the building. Jesus is in the building. <laughs>